Welcome back to Inside Voices, a teacher podcast by teachers for teachers, where we discuss all things education from special events all the way to the evolution of education. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm David. And remember that in here, we use our Inside Voices. So we're going to put a little uh, warning on this episode here. It was the Halloween disco this week and it is the lead up to Halloween. So David is very tired. <laughs> <laughs> He's not feeling it this morning. Do you know, <laughs> I came in, listeners, I came in this week and I was walking. I don't know, was it not lunchtime or something? Or was it break? I can't even remember. It wasn't even like early on in the day. <laughs> and I walked past Laura in the corridor with her class just going back and she went, oh, you look rough. It's <laughs> like... Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just, that's my way of asking if you're okay. Checking <laughs> if you're fine. Now that you've broken into the Killyween TikTok world. I know. He's started a revolution. I posted a clip from this podcast about Killyween and honestly, overnight it got like 100,000 views. <laughs> I was like, okay. The whole of Kilmarnock was commenting on it. It was great. But it is true. I've learned that. So if anyone is actually listening from Kilmarnock, I'm sorry for doubting that your yeah. Halloween traditions exist. Anyway, on this week's episode, we are talking about literacy approaches in the classroom and how they've sort of shifted with the digital age that we're in now. So in general, David, what would you see your class's sort of opinions are on more so reading um, than other aspects of literacy, but what would you say your class's views are on that? Yeah, I think it's difficult because obviously we've only been teaching for four or five years so yeah. it's not like we've been sitting there watching the whole world burn like and you know yeah. everything change and we can look over 30 years and be like oh my goodness it's so different from when we were teaching but I think um, even since I was at school or maybe in the last 10 years or so there has been a bit of a shift and I don't know what what the reason is maybe technology we can discuss that but there has been a wee bit of a shift and we've had to do more work on the engagement of readers yeah rather than teaching the subject of reading. So they kind of go hand in hand now. Whereas before, I think you just took it for granted that people would read and do it as a hobby. Like it was much more embedded culturally. People, instead of being on their phone at night, <laughs> like instead of going on your phone at night, you would read at night. That is, a lot of people still do that, but it's slowly shifting away. And you see people like sitting on their scrolling on their phone before bed and stuff. So there's a lot of things that have just slowly shifted. And now we're having to kind of adjust for that in school. Would you say that in your classroom, you've had to do a lot more engagement stuff? Yeah, I think so. And I think, like you said, it comes down to whereas before you wouldn't have like a TV to sit down and watch. Well, you would, ha- you would but it would be certain programs that are on at certain times of night. There was no streaming, right? There was no recording your programs and watching it you watched what was on and then you went to bed so a lot of the time it was that you would take a book up or like a comic or anything that you could read and that's what you would do because there was nothing on tv and if you couldn't go outside because it was dark or it was time to go to bed that's what you would do whereas now it is a lot of technology time or playing games like xbox and all of that not that that's a bad thing of course we are both advocates for using technology in the classroom and we really do think it enhances the experience but I think that's when it comes down to the whole conversation we had about it enhancing and not replacing because you can't really replace I don't think you can replicate opening up a book and actually reading a book from cover to cover I know you've got the Kindles you've got all of the things online that you can do but in my opinion a physical book cover to cover book You, you can't replicate that. Yeah, I actually um, read something. No, we, we did that at university, actually. That 
there is a difference between reading a physical book um, on your brain than like a Kindle or the internet. So if I read something on an article on online, it's actually harder for me to take the information in because apparently the physical turning of a page and the physical holding of a book does something to your brain while you're doing it. So it's like a memory thing. You actually remember turning that page. You actually remember where it is on the page as well. You remember where you were sitting, that kind of thing, rather than just scrolling with a mouse. Yeah, that kind of makes sense because I always think that when I write something down, like physically write something down, I'm Mm -hmm. more likely to remember it than if I just type it and send yep. it so I also want to put a caveat in because anyone watching this that knows me knows I'm not a reader like they know like I am really openly not someone who enjoys reading for pleasure his Instagram stories where he's sitting in Starbucks reading are all a lie guys <laughs> all a lie. No, I love doing that because I've got a coffee <laughs> and they've got like a day off like that is the dream I actually have to force myself to do it though like on holiday I'll take a book um, because I love reading on holiday next to the pool or whatever but see sitting down of a Tuesday night like before I go to bed and like, oh, snuggling up with a good book. Not for me. Yeah. So not interested. And I don't know why that's been the case because when I was in primary school, I loved reading. Like I was into it so much, but we had it as a kind of competition thing. So (laughs) I was more doing it for the points and stuff like that and the word count rather than the enjoyment of it. Yeah. And then what I started to do was go nonfiction. Like I would read anything nonfiction, encyclopedias, Cover to cover. Like I would read about <laughs> the Mongols or I would read about the Aztecs or I'd read about like any Vikings or Egyptians or whatever it was. I would read about it. Football magazines, everything. But sitting there with a novel was just not for me. So I actually have to do a bit of play acting in school sometimes yeah. when I'm like, oh my goodness, you have to read books. They're so good. And inside I'm going, oh, I don't do that. But I like it when I do it. Yeah, I think it comes down to how you're feeling as well, though, because I'm kind of similar when I come home from work. I don't, I have to cook my dinner, I have to take the dog out, all those things. By the time I get to time to go to sleep, I don't really want to pick up a book and then be tired within like 20 minutes. She said two things. I like, no, but I like to... I have to, to cook my dinner and take the dog out, two things. It's, it's difficult, okay? I go to my bed at like nine o'clock. I don't want to shave any more time off of that. And I get tired so quickly when I read, I feel like I don't actually take it in. Like I feel at night like time. also people who have children who listen to this must think the two of them are at it. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> they go home and they've got nothing to do apart from take the dog out and cook the dinner. I have a nap too. <laughs> I do that as well. I do that as well. But I do think you're, you've got a good point. It's a total shift, isn't it, in how people feel about reading. And if we're sitting here saying this, obviously younger people are feeling the same way. But as teachers, obviously a huge part of our curriculum is literacy and reading and writing go so hand in hand, as well as spelling, that if we're not promoting that reading culture, we're also then fighting a battle with writing because yeah. I don't know if you also find this in writing but if I ask students to write a lot of their inspiration comes from rather than books now it comes from like games yep. and TV shows and that's fine like if you, we know we encourage them to take inspiration from other things and put that into their imagination but when I was younger and I was writing I would always write about something I'd read about mm-hmm. or like a fairy tale land I'd made up in my head it's actually quite rare now mm. most of the time it comes from you know inspiration of what they're watching on YouTube or what they're watching on the TV or what they're playing on their on their Xboxes and their PlayStation stuff when they go home and it's okay to take inspiration from other sort of parts but you're not obviously getting the vocabulary from that mm-hmm. so I've been doing my research before this episode and from reading 
your exposure to vocabulary is 50% higher than it is if you were just to listen to TV shows and radio shows and people talking mm. nonsense on a podcast, you know. <laughs> your exposure to vocabulary is expanded by 50% if you're reading. That's quite intense. Yeah. That's quite a lot. I did not realise it was that high. And I guess that makes sense because the words we use conversationally every day yeah. aren't going to be the same as you know, if we're reading a book, because you have exactly. to get it into your head, right? You have to have a more vivid, vivid image in your head. Yep. Whereas if you're talking on a screen, there's no set in description. There's no sort of, of reading between the lines. There's no inference going on because you can see it happening. You can see all their emotions. So it does make sense. But then that's a battle you've got to sort of fight. Not a battle because it's not like students are refusing or anything like that. It's not a battle, but it's something you've got to try and make up for elsewhere. Yep. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'd never actually thought about that. The fact that they're not being exposed to high level vocabulary and, and language yeah. if they're just watching stuff. Because if you think about it, TV, that makes total sense because TV has to apply to pretty much the masses, doesn't it? So it has to apply to people with a, a reading age of 10 and a reading age of 25 or whatever, you yeah. know, the biggest gap that you could get. So they just go for the lowest common denominator, really, don't they? Yeah, it's got to be pitched in the middle. Yeah. And I think as well, when you're physically reading another skill that comes from that is all your like your inference and you're making predictions and you're summarizing all of that that's now a skill like summarizing is a skill that I I find really hard to teach because in my head I go well summarizing is, is summarizing like how do you explain mm -hmm. this any other way but because they're not reading as often they're getting their entertainment from other sources yeah it's actually hard to summarize because people don't summarize a TV show and then you could you could summarize a movie I suppose but it's also only like what three hours long three and a half hours long if you're watching yeah. a really long film and don't they get just started on Star Wars again <laughs> they just say the best bits though don't they but whereas if yeah. you're reading a book and it takes you two weeks to read your novel summarizing that can be really challenging but I think it's also really hard to teach that mm. It's one of those skills that in my head I just go, surely you know how to summarise. Like, yeah. You know, it's one of those things you just don't know how to exactly. explain. So, so do you think then that the the shift has been because of something? Could you like point, could you like put your finger on one thing that you think has shifted this engagement level? I mean, we've touched on this before, but the world we live in is so stimulating and it's so fast paced. It moves so quickly. People get information at the click of a button. It's literally at the end of their fingertips. Any information you possibly want, whether it's correct or not, you know, not everything's true on the internet, kids, but we can get information whenever, however, literally in our pockets. Mm -hmm. We don't even need Wi-Fi anymore. You could be out and you get phone signal pretty much everywhere, anything you could ever want. So the patience drops and you need patience to read. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, I'm not coming on here to bash technology because we love it. Like we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't. But with that fast paced environment, you lose that patience and taking your time. And as well with reading, part of the enjoyment is taking your time and really understanding all the words. Like I remember when I used to read, I would flip through the pages and I go, oh, I don't know what that word means. And I would go and figure it out. And then I'd come back to the page and I would really take my time to actually process what I was reading. Yep. Whereas now I think because everything's so quick, it's read the words on the page, but don't take it in. Yep. So then that takes away from the enjoyment as well, because you don't really know what's going on mm -hmm. and you're not getting the true value of what you're reading on the page. You're just sort of glancing over the words. You're not really taking them in and then say, no, I've read that book because it's 
I just need to read this book. Do you yeah. know, like I, I feel like in schools now there's almost that culture of I just need to read because it's hard to create a reading culture. Yeah, it, really, it really, is. really is hard to create a reading culture because students do view it as I'm in school, my teacher's telling me to read. It's a chore. Yeah, it, it, is, it does become a chore and it's really difficult. You know, you can put, there's wee things you can do. Like we put the fireplace on the board. I put the like <laughs> curtains down. It's dark, it's cozy. I let them go sit somewhere nice and warm. We've got a nice little class library. I let them like sit on the carpet, sit, like little things to try and increase it. But at the end of the day, you're still in a school building and your teacher's still telling you to read. Mm-hmm. You're being told at that time you're reading, which isn't really a reading culture because then that doesn't make them want to go home and read a book some some children will absolutely yep. but i would say the, the vast majority wouldn't what do you think there's anything else or yeah i think you touched on the, the technology aspect of it i mean for example like you go on social media which they are all on you go on social media and you want to like get tiktoks and you want to get instagram reels or whatever and it comes at you thick and fast and you get your information or entertainment immediately whereas if like i was speaking to my brother about this uh, about a book that he recommended to me and i read the first two chapters and i was bored out my brain like (laughs) did not enjoy the book i'm not gonna well strangers in a train you ever read it no Okay, boring. But he absolutely... It's like a good review. was one of his favourite books. Now, he's such a reader that I was like, okay, I'm going to take his word for it because he's the person that, like, in our family reads and reads and reads just for enjoyment. Like, he literally reads all the time. So I was like, okay, I'll take his word for it and try it. But because the first two chapters were not interesting to me, I was out. You're out, yeah. Because immediately I need to be, like, hooked in because the TikTok just hooks you in like that and you're good to go. So... I've had to persevere with it. It's taken me like six months to read this book and I'm not even anywhere near finished. Every time I pick it up, I'm like, here we go again. It's got to get good at some point. And maybe it's just a book that's not for me. And he just enjoyed it because he's into whatever it is, a murder mystery or whatever it is. (laughs) Trains. Trains. And because I didn't get my immediate hit within the first two chapters, I was out. And I think that's because my brain has literally changed to be like, I need it immediately. Yeah. So that's been a big shift. I think... Gaming probably attributes to that a little bit. TikTok, social media, technology, using everything immediately. Like we've talked before, even using technology that's slowing out is so frustrating. Yes. Like your laptops or whatever that are getting old. You're you're waiting for a tab to load for like 20 seconds and you're like, this is the longest 20 seconds. Yeah, it's been 20 minutes of my life and it's actually not been. Yeah, this is frustrating. This is slowing me down because it's not immediate. So I think that's all kind of a factor that's played in however i would say that schools do a power of work in getting children to read nowadays yeah there are major major movements i would call them that are in, involving authors and involving children involving libraries local services to get reading like back basically to like claw it back so for example we have like book week scotland is coming up book week scotland is like a great um a week for just engagement in reading. You've got all your live lessons and all that authors come in and do all their workshops and stuff. And I think all of that stuff, you know, your country or whatever will do their own thing. But I think all of that stuff just builds a culture. Yeah, slowly. uh, Slowly, Slowly, but you know, we do the reading engagement survey, which is really interesting because the questions, the, the questions are worded and give you such a good insight because I think when you ask a student, right, you ask them, do you like reading? They're going to go, yeah. 
uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But when they write it down and you, you actually speak to them and say, I'm not asking you this because I want you to say yes or no. I'm asking you because you, I want you to be honest. And they write it down and they kind of grade themselves. So one of the questions is, do you think reading is important? And they always say yes. They all, like It's always a five for that, four or five, like really high score for that. But then it's, do you think you'll spend a lot of your time reading? And it's a one. And in my head, I'm going, those two things go together because if you're saying it's really important, but you're saying you spend no time of your reading, you acknowledge it's important, but you also acknowledge it's not something you make time for. Yeah, so it's important, but not for them. Uh-huh. So they see it as important from a teacher's standpoint or yeah. a parent's standpoint. And yeah. it's important to you know be able to go into the rest of your life. But also I think there's a degree of, you need to read to a certain ability and then it becomes just reading for enjoyment. Yep. So I think, you know, I you need to read until you can understand what you're being asked to do. And then it becomes, okay, I can get by with the reading ability I have right now. Like, do I need to know how to infer something fully? Not really, because I don't sit down and do comprehension tasks, you know, but mm-hmm. I don't need to read between the lines for emails because it's black and white. It's there. Do this, do that. Yep. That's what you need to do. So there is also the argument of, again, like you said, reading to say I know it's important but I'm not going to yeah it's not important in the sense that enjoyment isn't it's the enjoyment isn't important to me that's what I'm trying to say that the enjoyment isn't important but the actual skill is important right those two things are completely different so to like separate them for kids is difficult because you're trying to like teach all these skills and make it like a skills-based thing yeah which is difficult and then they attribute reading to that Mm -hmm. or they attribute reading to just sit down and have a nice little time you know, yeah, and we all, but you can't do the two without each other. No, like but you. we also also say to them, always say to them, excuse me, that people enjoy different things. So in my head, I'm also thinking, can we sit there and say, hey, you need to enjoy reading? Because if someone came up to me and said, right, you must enjoy uh-huh, reading. You need to enjoy <laughs> sitting, watching, I don't know, curling. I'm going to be like, no, thanks. Curling. Well, no hate to anyone who loves curling. Okay. If you love <laughs> this curling. This is a Scottish podcast. <laughs> Actually, I think Scotland are pretty good at curling. Yeah, we're There's, unreal at it. Y- yeah. I mean, not that I'm really into the curling scene in Scotland, <laughs> but if I, someone, do you know what I mean though? If someone came and said to me, you will sit and enjoy it, like watching five-a-side football in the freezing cold on 11 o'clock on a Thursday night, like, yeah. no thank you. Yeah. So they're going to have to tell you why it's important yeah. for you. Yeah. Like, and- I don't want to. And it's the same sort of, we say, everyone enjoys different things. You know, you enjoy dancing, you enjoy this, you enjoy that. But then you sit in front of them saying, you will enjoy reading. It's like a totally backwards approach, isn't it? And I know you're seeing the kind of decline in interest. So the National Literacy Trust ask this question every single year. They've asked it since 2005. They ask... Oh, she's come with her statistics. She has. She's prepared. (laughs) Ask children, do you enjoy reading? Like, simple question. And this year, two in five children said yes. And that's the lowest answer they've had since 2005. So there obviously is a decline in that. Only and two and five. Yeah. So they enjoy it. Not that they read for enjoyment when they go home, just that they enjoy it. Wow. So that could be just reading in class, saying, I don't like the it. the whole UK? The whole, yeah. Oh my word. So it's, it's such a low number. That's quite scary, actually. And if they don't enjoy it, even the, I find sometimes the time in class, you spend a lot of your time fighting fires if it's reading for enjoyment time. Some people will just sit in a quiet corner and get their head in a book and you almost have to like peel them off of it. But a lot of the time you have to say, can you move away from your friend? We're not sitting talking. 
how can you read your book if your book's closed? Like that yeah. is my favorite line right now is your book is closed upside down <laughs> on your desk. There's no way you're reading that unless you have some sort of magnificent sight that you can read through that. And then they, they pick up, they read two words and they put it back down again. You know, yeah. it's, it is that. I do that as well. I give it the one like, oh, I've never, I've never met anyone that can talk and read at the same time. It's <laughs> impressive. The sarcasm. But it is, it's, to- it's totally declining. Yeah. And so like, obviously we've spoken about attacking that and, and bringing that number up and engagement with readers and things. Cause that's what the biggest problem is. But like, what kind of things are you doing to tackle it? So we've spoke, you've spoken about like the surface level stuff. You put the, the fire on yeah, and you put like, you know, we did coffee club, which is a great idea, which you can talk about, but, um, or was it coffee shop? Coffee vibes shop or vibes. Yeah. You can talk about that. But, um, so in my class for uh, reading engagement, like we've got a lot of things going. So we've got our accelerated reading, which we try and do. And that's more to get uh, children uh, through like reading ages, basically. That's more for their yeah, skills like and stuff. Yeah, it's like comprehension based. Comprehension. They do their quizzes on their books and stuff. The one downside of that is it's it's great for engagement. Like the children love the competition. They so love getting their words count up. But again, for me, excuse me, for me at school, it was all about that. Mm-hmm. And then like I kind of attributed reading to something that I have to do to, to earn something. And then once I wasn't earning something. Like a reward, yeah. Yeah, in high school, once that reward was taken away, I was like, oh, why would I read then? Because I'm not getting rewarded for it. So there is a downside where like children can just completely get the wrong end of the stick. Yeah. And I think also if you're doing it, with a score at the end for children who find reading a challenge and they're repeatedly getting, you know, like one out of five, two out of five, three out of five, and then there's yep. someone else getting five out of five, five out of five, five out of five, five out of five every single time. That can be really disengaging. Yeah. Because then it's not about enjoyment. It's I'm almost not being punished, but this person's being rewarded for getting these words yeah. and I'm not getting them because I'm not picking up on the inference skills I need. Yeah. Uh, so the second thing I do well, the most important thing I do for engagement in reading, I think, is the way that I do, I teach reading in class. So I, <laughs> it's kind of a pioneer in this. <laughs> uh, so I just kind of had this idea. I think we'd spoken about it in the podcast before, but I wanted to kind of go into it in a bit more detail because it's every time I say, oh, we're doing guided reading or we're doing reading stations, we do it, you know, four days a week. Um you can actually hear the children go, oh, yes. Like you can hear them, like they are so into it now. They're like, oh, yes, we're done. So the way I run it is this. I have three stations and a catch-up day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I have three stations and Friday's a catch-up day. On Tuesday, you'll do station one. Wednesday, you'll do station two. Thursday, you'll do station three. And the stations are usually a teacher read station. So I sit with a group. And second one will be like a comprehension based one. So the comp boxes or um, little quizzes online or you know, whatever it is you can find or a formal comprehension. Like sometimes I'll sit them down with a comprehension task. And then the third one is usually a more like active one where they either just read their book or they sit and listen to an audio book or, or something like that. More coffee shop vibes. Coffee shop vibes. That kind of thing. So you, get, you do your three stations or you do a reading journal task. That's another one. Yeah. Um, the one that I've been doing this week is just reading task cards. So I put out and they choose which one they want to do and they take it and they do a new front cover or they do. And it's all things that test their skills, but in a fun way. 
So they have to like create a wanted poster for one of their characters. So they have to know about the character to do that. They have to create a character profile. They have to write a birthday card for them or something. There's all these different ones. Anyway, they love doing it. But the biggest difference I've made or the biggest change is mixed ability. Yeah. And I know you do it in your class now as yeah. well. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, and a couple of the classes in school do it. And it's such a good way of doing it. Not to yeah. blow my own trumpet, but like... The mixed ability takes away that who's in the top green group. Yeah, you're in the blue group, you're in the green group, yeah. It, it just diminishes it completely. Now, children are wise to it and they can look around and see which book you're on. And if you're on a, on a big novel like Tom's Midnight Garden, mm. or if you're on, on a, a smaller book, you, you maybe think, oh, they're a better reader. And children generally know where they stand in the hierarchy. Like they know just from years of being in school yeah. where their and like ability sits. Moving through the classes together. Exactly. And what groups they've been in previously and stuff, but mixed ability is so good. Now you might be thinking, how on earth do I do mixed ability reading groups? Well, the way I do it is, on oh, my teacher read, um, I'll have like six different books in front of me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how am I getting through all these? So basically I just read with individuals. Yeah, or with twos and threes. As I say, I can sometimes group them together if there's a couple in on the same book in the same group. Exactly, and and we just have a chat before it and focus on what skills we're focusing on, do our success criteria, and then that's us. We're good to go. And sometimes I bring them to me, and then other times I'll sit in a group, and then other times I just go around them and I spread them out around the class, and I'll just go and sit next to them, tap them on the shoulder, and they continue to read. Sometimes I get them all to read aloud at the same time. So just mixing it up, keeping it fresh. And for me, that's really worked because the mixed ability thing has done yeah. wonders for their confidence. I know you've used it. Would you uh, agree? Yeah, or? children love to learn from each other as well. That I think yeah. they're, all, they're also children are very naturally supportive of each other. They are, and they want to help and support. Sometimes, okay, they fall out, but they do. It's, it's in their nature. And they do love to learn from each other and they also love to know what other people like. So if one person puts down a book and says, this book is so good, everyone's flocking to it. Everyone wants that book. So right, right now it's the Minecraft books in my little library. It's just like little Minecraft manuals, like how to build certain things. And as soon as one goes down, someone goes and gets it. That is the book of the moment yep. right now that everybody wants. Is it the red, green and blue one? Yes, they, abs I bought them. they absolutely love them. They're mine. And, uh, well, you're not getting them back. <laughs> they, love, you, they love them, though. Them. <laughs> they love them. And I think that is something to tap into, is all the interests and the, the value they get from sharing with their peers. That is, I say that to parents at Parents' Night. Every single Parents' Night, find something that they love. Like, yeah. If it's football, get them football books. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it doesn't need to be all fiction yeah. books, because... That's what I say to mine as well. Is like if you like to read comics, that's still reading. If you like to read a manual on how to play a game, that's still reading. You're just still getting the exposure to the language. You're still understanding how to summarize. You're still understanding how to get that information and actually use it. You know, we did a really interesting lesson. Was it for Book Week in Primer Seven? It was you that set it all up when we taught together, and it was all the different types of reading that you could do. So we had like newspapers out. Mm -hmm. We had like old Beano magazines or comics. Yeah, the um, Yeah, we actually had like more modern sort of magazines, traditional magazines, obviously not like OK Magazine, you know, we had like children's <laughs> magazines Vogue. out, um, books and different sort of texts. We had news roundup, like there was so much to choose from mm -hmm. and everyone just kind of gravitated to whatever they were interested in. Yep. And I think that sort of opened their eyes to say, well, this is all the different types of reading that I have available to me and I can go and pick them. It doesn't always need to be a big novel and a big story, especially for children who find it difficult to have that sort of 
span of interest because it takes so long to read a book. Mm-hmm. That's a long time to be focused on one thing. Yeah, like so, a really short read here. Yeah, like go and read a comic and see what you think about that instead. And also you have to tap into, for me as well, the different those different ways of reading but there's so many different ways to teach the reading skills that will then increase reading engagement so I spoke earlier about like summarizing and inferring and predicting all of that I feel like you don't really get the enjoyment from reading unless you know how to do those things because if you're not inferring what you need to infer Mm -hmm. the whole story is kind of going and go not over your head but you're going to miss key parts and then you get to the end like I always think of this with like Harry Potter so Harry Potter is actually a fantastic series to read but really hard to read. There's so many bits. Because, uh-huh. yeah, there's so much to it and so much connection. So many characters. But, yeah, so many characters. And we things that are not inferred. Me, not Hermione. <laughs> you! <laughs> <laughs> so many things to infer, though, in, that, in those stories. Um, throughout the whole series, that when you get to the end, you go, oh, that uh, makes so much sense. Yeah. But if you're not inferring it, you're not going to have that light bulb moment. And then you're going to go, oh, what was that about? I don't understand any of that. Yeah. Like, what just happened? Like me watching Oppenheimer. Didn't have a clue not a the skippy. whole time. Not a <laughs> skippy. I my brother and I was like, this is the most confusing movie <laughs> I mean, and then it makes sense at the end. <laughs> See, you need to end, work on like, your oh, inference. Like, the black and white. You should have known the black and white was... And I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> you need to work on your inference skills. I do, I really do. But like teaching them in isolation is something I've realised teaching the younger ones. I think when I was in the older stages, I sort of took this for granted. I was just like, oh, they know how to fair they've been doing it for ages or teaching inference is we're doing comprehension here's what a literal question looks like how is it structured here as you can tell here's how an inferential question looks how can you tell here's how an evaluative question looks and that was basically it yeah whereas now i teach inference and evaluation and all those skills completely differently so i've got little higher order thinking skills like question prompts i use when i'm reading with the children and i go through a different one every single week mm-hmm. So starting with just remembering, then going into understanding and all those question prompts, go through different ones every week, get to the end, go back to the start, get to the end, go back to the start. That really works. But also isolated tasks that don't necessarily involve reading, but work on the inferring skills. So podcasts, for example, right? You're all listening to a podcast. You obviously quite like them. You can't see our faces unless you're watching this, but you can infer how we're feeling by tone of voice. But you can infer <laughs> what's going on here that we're obviously sitting here that people will say, oh, you've got such a good rapport with each other. I've had this comment a few times. But how do you know that? Well, you've inferred it because you can't see us. Yeah, You've just inferred that's how, how we are. We actually hate each other. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> can't stand her. <laughs> Awful. But that's a skill that I would then teach. So we've used podcasts in the class and there's tons out there. So Kids Bop have a podcast that you can listen to and it's it's fun. It's engaging. It's by kids. It's interesting. And then we'll sit and listen to it. And sometimes we'll put the video up. We'll listen to this podcast and it's great for fact and opinion. It's great for inference. It's great for predicting. It's great for summarizing all of those skills. And we'll just focus on one part of the skill. So we'll listen to the podcast and said there's not necessarily content in there that's going to be, you know, how to build a rocket ship. Like that's not what we're learning. We're not focusing on that. Put the content aside because the content is fun and it's engaging. But the skill the skill is summarizing. Then we'll do a review of the podcast. And they can't do the review in this. They've listened really carefully. They're instantly engaged because they look and it's kids and they're like, oh, they're our age. Yeah. And they're talking about things they're interested in. They think it's funny. They're picking it up straight away and now you can review it. So what did you think of the presenters? What did you think of? And they can go through, they can give reason for their choices and things like that are a great way to then build the skills which then produces engagement. Yeah. 
And so you're not actually teaching necessarily a reading lesson there. It's more listening and talking skills. Yeah. But the skills transfer. Yes. And they transfer across all of literature because you can then put that into your writing as well. Because if you know how to predict something, you can then write better, can't yeah. you? Because you can drip little bits of information through your writing, you know, and you can kind of allow your reader to then uh, predict and infer and all those things as well. Obviously, you can like infer that we are... We've got a good rapport and stuff, but you can also infer about our surroundings as well. So if you've never seen our surroundings, you can probably make a couple of judgments. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can tell we're not sitting in somewhere that's really clinical, like an interview room. I always think when people are listening to podcasts, they might think that we're sitting in interview sort of style, yeah. sitting here really stiff as a board, opposite ends of the table. Like It's totally not like that. I think because the way we're talking to each other, you can tell we're sitting and we're pretty comfy. It's nice, relaxed atmosphere. Like it's just like sitting having a coffee and a chat with your pal yeah. because that's the kind of environment we're in. You can tell that from the way we talk to each other. So many people actually ask us or ask me where we film. Like, yeah, do you get I get all that all the time. Where, yeah. do, where do you film? Where do you film? Podcast Studio Glasgow, guys. We fly to LA every single weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does look like that though because we've been asked that in workloads as well. People ask where we film because it's such a it does look like a almost like a, a movie yeah. sort of setup like a studio setup everyone thinks so oh, it must be somewhere really far away no it's Glasgow yeah we're in Glasgow do you want to talk about um coffee shop vibes just really quickly? oh the coffee shop vibes is also a good one so coffee shop vibes is I mean if you if you do actually watch this on YouTube we always have a Starbucks in our hand when we're filming or if you follow us on TikTok we always have a Starbucks um <laughs> do you, have you ever seen Fight Club no you don't talk about it. Yeah. But have you ever seen the movie? No, I've not. I just know that like Apparently line. in every, <laughs> this was like a meme for a while, apparently in like every scene somewhere there's a Starbucks cup and it speaks to commercialism or something, oh, you know. I've you been know, commercialized. Cap yeah, capitalism or something like that. Mm. But there's a Starbucks cup and I feel like that is what our online profile is like. There's a Starbucks cup in every... Not sponsored. Hashtag. I know. So Coffee Shop Vibes is essentially you play some music in the class. Now, I love a bit of like lo-fi beats and piano music when we're working. I don't mean that kind of music. I mean music with words, music that they love, music that they like. So we'll use like a kid's bop playlist or this year we've been making our own. So you can go on Spotify on your computer and you can add like the songs. So they'll come up to me and say, oh, can you add this song? And I'll add it on so they can come up and suggest things so you can build your own kind of playlist. I'd still use kid's bop just because I know it's going to be fine and I know there's not going to be anything in it. But they have pre-made ones on their website that you can use as well. And you play it at a level that's relatively low that you would expect in like a shopping centre or in a coffee shop mm -hmm. um, and they work. And that is the conditions. They can kind of get comfy they can sit where they want so I've got a few flexible seating areas they can they can sit there they can sit next to a friend they can sit on the bean bags the thing just now I don't know why they like to do it must be quite comfy is they flip their chair around and sit on the floor and use their ch chairs like the table cool that's I've fine I've never seen that before really yeah apparently it's quite comfy so they'll okay. sit there although like some like to sit on the carpet like in front of the board and like, lean against the wall that's fine get comfy and the rule is you have to get your work done in the time frame I give you so we usually do this for like spelling or if we're doing like a literacy task things like that you have to get your work done in the time I give you and you can't scream and shout and you can't sing the songs like super loud because nobody likes that person in Starbucks that's like on no. his phone and he's like, all right, mate, like, <laughs> how's it going? And just blissfully unaware of everyone around who is like, yeah. please, please, can you turn the volume down? Yeah. 
so all the girls that are sitting going, yeah, talking about. And then I texted her saying, and you didn't. Then, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, I just think that the way you've worded that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh my like, goodness, really blissfully unaware how uh-huh. loud they are. And I always say to them, I'm like, you're being that guy. Don't be that guy. Mm-hmm. And they just laugh and they turn it down. And you have to, like I said, you have to work hard. You're there to be productive. And I always think of like, when I go to have a coffee, I always go and I take my laptop and then I can't get distracted. And I actually don't. I'm pretty good at when I go and do that. I do get my work done. Mm-hmm. And it just makes that sort of relaxing atmosphere. It's good, great for literacy tasks. It's great for reading. It's great for those environments where you are wanting to promote a genuine sense of enjoyment and not just, I'm doing this because my teacher told me I have to. And yeah. obviously you do get a sense of that with tasks sometimes, but it doesn't promote a genuine enjoyment and sense of achievement. So if you've got that music on kind of just running low in the background and then they're sitting reading and they're nice and comfy and they can sit next to a pal, it takes away that feeling of being like, I've been told to do this and I'm in a school environment. And I think that can produce enjoyment or that can promote Mm -hmm. enjoyment. So I do it in guided reading sometimes as well, just because they're all doing something different in guided reading. So it's quite a good opportunity to to do that. And they do absolutely love it. A lot of people have asked me how I manage that in terms of behaviour. And in all honesty, it kind of manages itself. It's not something I do in August. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't come in on the first day and be like, hey, guys, we're going to do this. Because that just wouldn't work. You have to have the routines there. And the routines come from absolute consistency. And at the start, when I first do it, I am really, really strict with it. So I'm like, if we can be quiet for five minutes, then I'll put it on. Mm -hmm. And then they're quiet, we put it on. But if people are talking and I have to stop three times, I'm turning it off and I will do it. Like I absolutely will stick to it. And then they just pick up really quickly because it's something they enjoy. They're like, oh, we're being given this little bit of leeway almost. So don't ruin it. And they don't want to ruin it for everyone. So it does work really well. Those wee tips of just how can you promote that engagement? I feel, like you could, I feel like this could start a movement across the nation. <laughs> coffee shop vibes. And Everyone doing coffee shop Guys, vibes. if you do coffee shop vibes, send us your pics. <laughs> <laughs> send us hashtag coffee and shop vibes. And if you vibes. want to take it even further, you can actually go to a coffee shop and ask for little coffee cups and they can put their water in it. Wow. We've only done that once because I can't, I don't have the energy to go to a coffee shop every week no. and ask for coffee cups. Absolutely not. <laughs> So the last time we put in a little question and answer session, it got really good feedback and it was something that people really enjoyed. So we're going to just take a little brief pause and we're going to introduce a little question and answer session to this one as well. So if you do have any questions that you want to send in, you can send them over on Instagram, send them on TikTok. If you are watching on YouTube, you can comment in on the YouTube um, video of the episode and we will pick them up at some point. So one of the questions I got this week is how do you build up a bank of resources as a teacher? So you know, any good websites or any good things, especially ones that are free, because obviously the page websites and the page resources are great, but you can't be doing that for every single thing. So are there any really good sites or really good resources you use every single day or every single week that you would recommend to people to help them build up their sort of bank of resources that are up their sleeve? The best resource for teachers at the moment, I think, is Canva. Yes, Oh my gosh, yes. Because with your teacher email, you get a teacher education pro account and that opens up so many um, more pro features for you. So for example, you can go on and search for worksheets yeah. and there are a million worksheets so already made. So easy to edit as well. Or you can go on and use their artificial intelligence to build your own w- worksheets yeah. in, a, in an instant, basically. And you can add your class 
So like when we're innovating yes. our class text, I send it to them on Canva and they sit and they type it and they edit it on a computer, which is more like what they're going to be doing in their real life anyway. Yeah. So when you set up your class, um, they can send you p assignments and you can send them back with feedback and everything. So that's a really good feature. Yeah. But in terms of resources, Canva has like a great bank of resources already there. Yeah. And then classroom displays, worksheets. And then you can make your own. Yeah, con like as in like helpful things like parent teacher conferences and all that. There's tons on there. Yeah, I would say as a student teacher, I find it more difficult because you maybe don't have as much access with your teacher email to yeah. pro things across the board. Like you don't have as much access to maybe the school's features like some dog and things like that that they use um, with all their pro features. Yeah. So it is more difficult as a student, but there are a lot of free websites and things out there. Yeah that have worksheets options. You can go on websites like Tez and Teachers Pay Teachers and there's lots of free stuff on there as yep. well. Absolutely. So. And there's things that are like work Worksheet Genius is a worksheet generating um, website. It, to be honest, it takes a bit of patience to get through all the ads, but it is a good site and you can differentiate things for free on there as well, which is a good one if you're a student. Obviously, they're all worksheet based, but you've got your kind of top marks um, for games, learn British English for games, for grammar, and they've also got spelling stuff on there. Um, you've got like Mathagon and you've got MathSpot. All of those sites are good for sort of more interactive things. But you said to Canva, to give like a quick shout out to Canva for this, because genuinely we wouldn't be sitting here with it without Canva. Because do you remember how all of this started people probably won't even really be interested in this but the way we got on to tiktok and social media and then this is from canva because Were i just not creating yeah, like a, a flyer or something i i discovered at the end of the school year like it was 2021 yep. must have been that you got the free education account for Canva because I was using it for bits and bobs and then I learned you could make all your classroom displays and I dedicated every hour of my life to this. I became obsessed. Mm -hmm. Told you, we were both sitting there obsessed with it. The whole summer. Then we discovered you could sell on Teachers Pay Teachers with the things you were making and people were saying, oh, they're really good. You should sell them. So we did that. Then we ended up making TikTok, in all honesty, as a bit of a joke at the start to try and like promote our TPT products. <laughs> and then we're here. So, you know, thank you, Canva, because... <laughs> Wouldn't be here without yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are a, a founding father of the uh, Inside Voices podcast. We always like to end with a little piece of advice for our viewers and our listeners. So if there is one piece of advice you can leave them with for sort of cultivating and creating that sort of reading and literacy engagement atmosphere in your classroom, what would it be? My biggest piece of advice for teachers um, to promote reading in your class is to like replicate, is to replicate an environment where reading engagement is something that is promoted. So for example, the coffee shop vibes is a great one. Uh, the reading engagement um, through your guided reading and things with your mixed abilities is a great one. There's lots of different ways you can do it, but as long as that is your main goal, you're going to see an improvement in your attainment through that. Yeah. I think, because if you can improve your engagement in reading, if you can improve the enjoyment of reading uh, through these different things, then children will be you know, more likely to to learn the skills that you, that you want them to learn. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, view reading as it doesn't need to be cover to cover novel. You know, find something that they're interested in and don't sort of just presume that the, the skills are there because reading is more than just reading the words on the page. Obviously, that's part of the battle, but promote those skills in a different way, in a way that's more relatable to what they're doing. Now, like we spoke about summarising a podcast or summarising, you know, a, a level on a game, work on those skills in a way that's maybe not cover to cover reading and then link them in as you go. Yeah. And remember, guys, to tag us in coffee shop vibes. 
revolution. Hashtag coffee shop vibes revolution 2023. Inside Voices. (laughs) Copyright. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside Voices. Remember to come back next week where we're going to be talking about the evolution of education. And remember that in here, we use our Inside Voices. Inside Voices.